0: Our speaker this morning is Timothy Atik. We know him around here as T.A. T.A. is the Director of Vertical Ministries in Waco, a Bible study that ministers to a couple thousand Baylor Bears out there. Um, Got a few in here, okay. Um, Before you hiss the Baylor Bears, you should know that T.A. is actually an Aggie. So uh, he graduated in 2003, and his job now is to take the gospel to the dark hinterlands of Waco. And uh, that is what he does with his life. So uh, we consider him a missionary uh, from here. Uh, He graduated in 2003, went to DTS, and uh, he and his wife Catherine were married in 2006. They have two little boys, Noah, who's five, and Andrew, who is three. Um, I've actually known T.A. since we were kids. Since he was in junior high, I was around high school age from Dallas. And over the years, I've gotten to know him As a man who seeks the Lord, but also have seen him become an increasingly gifted communicator, he always has been. But we've wanted him to have the opportunity to come and teach to us for a while. So, if you would please welcome
1: Timothy Atik. Well, uh, good morning. How are we doing today? It is uh, good to see you, glad to hear that there's a few Baylor Bears in the crowd, and it is always good to be around Aggies. Um, it's really surreal to be in this place because so much of my time in college, I sat right there at the back of that section, right in this room, um, hearing the word taught, and then on Sundays i go across the street and do the same thing again in the college service. This church has invested a lot in me. I'm beyond grateful for it. And very few people in this world have impacted my life, like your pastor, uh, Brian Fisher. You have a wonderful pastor and leader in Brian. Brian and Tristy have invested in my wife and I, and we are so grateful for it. I, I will say that when I was asked to speak at Grace there I just felt all of this pressure because I just thought, man, I've got to find just the right message to kind of give back to the place that has given me so much. And so I prayed about it, and I felt like the Lord led me to to Genesis chapter 36. Now, if you're familiar with your Bibles, you might be thinking, well, Genesis 36, that's getting closer to the end, and I know that the life of Joseph is kind of toward the end of Genesis, and so if that's where we're going today, that's interesting, and that's exciting. Uh, We're actually going to talk about the list of 80 plus names that happens right before the life of Joseph. (laughs) Genesis 36 is the genealogy of Esau. So you know those chapters in your Bible that you joyfully skip over. Yeah, that's where we're going today. Uh, I'm going to basically, I'm doing the equivalent of just opening up the phone book and reading it if we did that for recreational reading. This is the Hebrew phone book. And that's what we're going to do. If you're a visitor here, welcome to Grace. You'll probably never see me again. But uh, anyway, (laughs) uh, it's great to get to be with you. I will say this. In this chapter that we tend to skip over, there's actually truth that is going to demand movement from us. And I think that the best way that I can frame it is by reminding you of a guy named Waldo. I don't know if when you were a kid you ever spent time finding or asking the question, Where's Waldo? But um, I asked that question primarily in doctors' waiting rooms because that's where most of the Waldo books were, but... Um, The thing that I realized about Waldo when I was preparing for this talk is that Waldo was always in the midst of a crowd. Like he was always surrounded by people. And although he was just this uh, skinny, dorky guy wearing a ski cap in the middle of summer, um, he was always distinguishable. He was in the world, yet he looked different from it. And as I thought about that statement, I just thought that should be true of anyone here who calls themselves, uh, considers themselves a follower of Jesus Christ. We should be in the world, yet we should look different from it. Today, Genesis 36 is going to zero us in on three ways that our lives should look different in this world. It's by no means an exhaustive list, but it is a convicting one. But it is for our joy today. So if you have a Bible, would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 36? Genesis 36. And as you're turning there, I'll just, um, I'll just say, if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you don't consider yourself a Christian here's my hope for you. My hope is that as I am calling the Christians in the room to a a more authentic Christian life, my hope is that you would hear that life with Jesus Christ truly is worth it. All right, so here we go. Genesis chapter 36, uh, verse one is just going to remind us of what we are getting ourselves into today. It says this, these are, Are the generations of Esau. That is Edom. So Genesis 36 is just a great overview of the life and family tree of Esau. And if you don't remember who Esau is, um, I'll position it this way. Genesis is primarily about four people Uh, there's Abraham, there's Abraham's son Isaac, there's Isaac's son Jacob, and then there's Jacob's son Joseph. Okay? Esau was one of Isaac's sons, and he was the brother of Jacob. That's about as far as I can get you right now, but we'll fill in some more details along the way. Uh, The life of Esau gives us a great example of what life without God in this world can look like. So it is safe to conclude That for us who call ourselves followers of Christ, our lives should look different than Esau's life. Now look back at verse 1, and I want to point out a portion of the verse that we might tend to glance over simply because it's in parentheses. But it says this, these are the generations of Esau, that is Edom. So Edom is another name for Esau, and Edom literally means red. And this is very interesting because what this is doing is it is pointing us directly back to the greatest mistake that Esau ever made in his life. He made a decision that impacted the entire trajectory of his life. And if you don't know the story in Genesis 25, let me just uh, fill you in. Uh, Esau was the firstborn child in his family, and God had established a family structure where the firstborn son would receive a double portion of inheritance. Not only that, uh, Esau was in a really great position because he was the grandkid of Abraham, and so he was in line to receive the promises that God had made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. But one day, Esau comes home from hunting, which was his job, and he's starving, So he strikes up a really bad deal with his deceitful brother Jacob, and he trades his birthright for a bowl of red stew. So when the text refers to Edom, which means red, it is pointing us back to this decision that Esau made when he sold his birthright for a bowl of red stew. And in that moment, when he did that, Esau was being driven by desire. And in that moment, Esau chose the, um, uh, the instant gratification of his appetite, the short-term gratification of his physical appetite. He chose that over the long-term satisfaction of the spiritual and physical blessings of God. And the result was regret. And we see that in Hebrews chapter 12, because the author of Hebrews says this, he, he, in a sense, says, don't be like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. We see Esau experience vast amounts of regret. Now, here's what we have to realize. We live in a world where short-term gratification is ultimate, Short-term gratification is ultimate. We live in a world that says, if it feels good now, you should probably do it now. So if you don't have the bunny, if you don't not the bunny, but the money, if you don't have the money um, to buy uh, a nicer car, a nicer clothes, or a bigger house, then the world would say that that's the beauty of credit. And so we have people all over this nation living as $30,000 millionaires where they live as if they have millions, but they actually only make $30,000. If you're single and your hormones are raging, this world would say there is no need to spend the time cultivating a dating relationship that will then um, culminate in marriage. No, you can have one night, strictly physical. It's called a one-night stand. If you're married and you don't feel that your needs are being met in your marriage, and this world would say that's um, you, there are actually fantasy worlds that you can escape to on the internet. If it feels good now, you should probably do it. Now, if you've had a tough day or a tough week, tough month, tough year, tough decade, then this world would say if you're dealing with some emotional pain, then you have alcohol, prescription pills, and drugs to turn to. If it feels good now, you should probably do it now. This is a world where short-term gratification is ultimate. Here is the only problem. While uh, the the biggest problem is that often short-term gratification is followed up by long-term guilt, shame, and regret. That's why there's many broken and busted people in this world saying, um, I never uh, should have cut those corners at work. I never should have gone home night after night with a different man or a different woman. I never should have maxed out credit card after credit card after credit card. I never should have walked out on my family. I never should have cheated that person out of what was rightfully theirs. If it feels good now, you should probably do it now. That's what our world says. As followers of Christ, our lives should look different because our lives should have far less amounts of guilt, shame, and regret in them. And I'll give you two reasons. I'll give you two reasons why our lives should have a lot less guilt, shame, and regret in them. The first reason is found in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It says this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here's what you need to realize. Jesus Christ has already dealt with all of our failures, past, present, and future, when he died on the cross and rose from the dead. He's already dealt with all of it, and through faith and faith alone in who Jesus is and what he has done, we are forgiven. But not only that, God actually gives us the strength to forgive ourselves. And so we get to go through life consumed by the fact that we have been forgiven instead of going through life consumed by the fact that we have failed. Our lives are no longer about our failure. It's about God's forgiveness. I'll put it a different way. Our failures are not anchors of guilt, shame, and regret that we need to tow around. No, in Christ, our failures are trophies of God's grace. And our failures display just how loving, good, and excellent God is. Our lives should have far less amounts of guilt, shame, and regret. The second reason we should have less guilt, shame, and regret is found in 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In Christ, you were made new. Jesus Christ explained it to Nicodemus as being born again. You might not look new. You might not feel new. But in Christ, you are new. Jesus is in the business of giving clean starts to messy messy lives. And maybe you're here this morning and you hear that a new start is on the table with Jesus and you need it. Maybe you're here. You don't know why you're here. You just landed here this morning and you are here because... Jesus Christ wants to make you new. You need to know the main reason that you are new is because when you believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, the God of the universe actually comes and takes up residence in you. That's the most fantastic news you could ever hear, that God himself would choose to come and live inside of you, and he comes to live through you. I don't know if you've ever thought about the fact that God lives inside of you, but that's why Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in." Me. And you have to realize that God's presence in your life, it's not meant to be passive, it's it's meant to be active. Paul tells us in Galatians 5 that it is God's intention and desire to live a life through us that demonstrates love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and here's a big one: self-control. You want to know why our lives should have far less amounts of guilt, shame, and regret? Well, it's because God himself is present in our lives, and he is promising to lead us towards a life that gives joy and peace and away from a life that produces death. I'll illustrate it this way. Uh, Several years ago... I found myself watching a Japanese game show. I don't know if you've ever watched a Japanese game show, but it's the equivalent of the TV show Wipeout. And so uh, these contestants will run different obstacle courses. And on this specific one, uh, these contestants ran this course and there was this moment on the course where there was four different doorways that were covered in paper. And so what each contestant would do is that they would, they would run full speed, get to this portion of the course, kind of eeny, meeny, miny, moe the door frames, pick one, run and burst through and keep on running. The only catch was that three of the four doorways had wooden beams behind them and so contestant after contestant after contestant would run get to this point in the course pick one of the doorways run and jump through and experience massive amounts of regret okay (laughs) then halfway through the pool of contestants everything changed Because the latter half of contestants began to learn from the front half of contestants. And so what you would see is these contestants get to this portion of the course and just stop. They would just stop and they would begin to stare at the different doorways. Because what they realized is if they waited long enough, the sunlight would hit the paper and illuminate The three ways that led to regret in the one way that led to life. And as I thought about that, I just thought, man, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. Because we have the light of the world actually living inside of us when we know Jesus. And if we will submit our ways to his way, then he will illuminate all of the paths in life that will lead to guilt, shame, and regret. And he will illuminate the one way that will actually produce joy and peace in life. We have something that the rest of the world doesn't have. Therefore, our lives should look different. They should. Let's continue in the text. Verses 2 and 3, I would imagine that many of you will claim these verses as your life verses after today. That was definitely a joke. But anyway, Esau took his wives from the Canaanites. Adah, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, a holy bomb and no relation to our president. The daughter of Anah the daughter of Zibion the Hivite, and Basemath, Ishmael's daughter, the sister of Neboath. Can I get an amen for that? <laughs> these, uh, these two verses, they're just names, but they tell us something extremely important about the decisions that Esau made in marriage. Shows us two things. The first thing it shows us is that Esau rebelled against God's general design for marriage. God's general design, found in Genesis chapter 2, is that one man and one woman would become one emotionally, spiritually, and physically. Esau took multiple wives. He rebelled against God's general design for marriage. The second thing it shows us is that he rebelled against God's specific command in marriage because God had commanded his people not to marry Canaanites because Canaanites did not know, honor, or respect God. Esau rebelled against God's desire and intention for marriage. And because of it, his life and the lives of his family members were full of drama. Just go read in Genesis how how much drama his decisions brought into the lives of his parents. The reality is that many people, honestly, in this room, but many people in this world live With the same kinds of drama in their lives simply because of the poor decisions that they've made in marriage or in dating relationships. I personally believe that some of the greatest amounts of pain, heartache, and bitterness in this world are found in bad marriages and bad dating relationships. As followers of Jesus Christ, our marriages should look different. They should. Our marriages should look different. We should have marriages and dating relationships that give life instead of steal life. And I am a mind reader and I know exactly what some of y'all are thinking. You don't know what it's like being married to my spouse? You're right, I don't. But I'll tell you this. Followers of Jesus Christ should have the healthiest marriages in the world. And I'll give you two reasons why. First reason why followers of Jesus Christ should have the best marriages in the world is this. If we, if we say that we know Jesus, then what we are saying is that we have experienced oceans of unconditional love, forgiveness, and commitment that the rest of the world doesn't even know exists. What we're saying if we know Jesus is we are saying that we have experienced um, such unconditional love. That we are loved despite all of our failures, despite all of our offensive tendencies, despite all of our insecurities. We've experienced such deep forgiveness that, that all of our failures, past, present, and future, they're never brought up, they're dealt with completely. We've experienced such commitment that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us on the cross so that we could spend eternity with him. We have gotten to learn unconditional love, forgiveness, and commitment from the one who wrote the book on these things. But the second reason why our marriages should look different is that we know the inventor of marriage. God is the one who thought marriage up. He's the one who designed it for a man and a woman to become one spiritually, emotionally, and physically. He's the one who thought it up. And the way things work in this world is if you invent something, you know how it works best, period. If you invent something, you know how it works best. God, the inventor of marriage, has given it to us, but he hasn't given it to us and said, well, just tinker with marriage until you figure out how it works. No, he actually dedicated an entire book of his Bible as an instruction manual on how to find love, make love, and maintain love. That book is called The Song of Solomon. Go read it. If you're over 16, maybe, go read it, all right? Let's say over 18, all right? But go read The Song of Solomon because what you're going to see, I mean, it, it, it gives us the instructions. If you're single, it'll show you the type of man or woman you need to be looking for. If you're in a dating relationship, it'll show you how to have a spring-like relationship. Spring is full of life. What you want to avoid is a relationship that's more like winter where there's little signs of life. If you're married, it'll show you how to have the best physical intimacy possible. Hello, men that are asleep right now. It's found in the book. It'll show you how to fight well. It'll show you how to nurture a love that lasts lasts a lifetime. This is what we have. We have access to something that other people don't. So our marriages should look different. We should have the most healthy marriages. We should have the healthiest marriages in the world. Now let me just clarify what I am not saying. I did not say that. Christians should have the easiest marriages. I definitely did not say that. I did not say that Christians should have perfect marriages. Please don't hear me say that. I'm saying that Christians should have the healthiest marriages. And let me just give you a very practical example of what a healthy marriage looks like. One of the healthiest marriages is two people who are struggling to live together, but they are declaring, even if I have to go to counseling once a week for the rest of my life, I will. Because I'm that committed to this relationship. Even, in, even on the days and weeks. And even if there are months where I don't feel in love with this person. I will choose to love them. Why? Because that's what Jesus Christ has done for me. Jesus chose to love me. And I was unlovable. That's what I've experienced from Jesus. So the only right thing to do is express that type of love. Our marriages should look different. Let's continue in the text, verse 4. And Ada bore to Esau Eliphaz, basemeth bore Raul, and Aholibamah bore Jeush, Jalem, and Korah. All great names for you who are pregnant right now. These are the sons of of Esau who were born to him in the land of Canaan. Then Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, and all the members of his household, his livestock, all his beasts, and all his property that he had acquired in the land of Canaan. He went into a land away from his brother Jacob, for their possessions were too great for them to dwell together. The land of their sojournings could not support them because of their livestock, so Esau settled in the hill country of Seir. In parentheses, Esau is Edom. So here's what we see with Esau. Esau has children. He gets rich and he relocates to Seir. And then we're not going to read any of the rest of the chapter because it literally is just a bunch of names. But his family tree explodes. And if you were to go and read the rest of the chapter, here's what you would see. In verses 10 through 13, you would see that Esau had five sons and 12 grandsons. Okay, in verses 15 through 19, you would see that many of his grandsons became political leaders. Verses 20 through 30, you would see that his descendants were dominant. They took over entire districts. And then in verses 31 through 39, you would see that some of Esau's descendants even became kings. That was the greatest accomplishment of Esau's family. His family evolved into a kingdom kingdom. Unfortunately, we know that that kingdom did not know, honor, or respect God. Because at different points in the Old Testament, we see the Edomites warring against God's people, the Israelites. Consequently, the Edomite race ceased to exist in 70 AD. And this is interesting. Just think about this now. Now. People who were once kings, the, one of the only records we have of people who were once kings is a chapter in the Bible that we all skip over. It shows us something really important. I think that there's this longing, this desire in, in so, mu- so much of this world. There's this desire to race to the top of society. There's this longing in us for significance. We, we fear being nobodies. We, we long to be somebodies in this world. Pastor Andy Stanley says that we seek after what's called, what he calls the er factor we know that we need to know that we are smarter, better, wealthy er, funny er, pretty err, skinny er, successful er." <laughs> than the people around us. Because when we feel like we have the "ER" factor over the people around us, then we feel like somebodies amidst a bunch of nobodies. But what Esau's family shows us is even those who become somebodies in this world become nobodies. The moment they die, that's the way the ocean tide of this world works. You spend your life building your castle. And then the moment you die, the ocean tide of this world comes and washes it all away. And no, no one even remembers that you were here. Someone else moves onto the same plot of land and begins to build their castle. As followers of Jesus Christ, our lives should look different because our ambitions are different. We don't spend our lives seeking the er factor. We spend our lives promoting the one who has the est factor because Jesus is strong ist, kind ist, loving ist. That's what our lives are about now. In Christ, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that we are ambassadors for Christ. So not only are we saved, when we are saved, we are then sent out so that others might be saved through the gospel message coming through us. Our lives should look different because it's no longer about being famous, it's about being faithful. You see that? It's no longer about making our names great, it's about making Jesus' name, great. Jesus is the name that is above every name. And at his name, every knee will bow and tongue confess. Our lives must be different as faithful followers of Jesus Christ. See, the life of Esau makes one thing very clear. If we consider ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, we should be in the world, yet we should look different from it. Why? Because we are different. We are different. We are people who have been forgiven. We are people who have been indwelt by God himself. We are people who have learned love, forgiveness, commitment from the one who wrote the book on these things. Not only that, we are people who possess the instruction manual for marriage and we are ambassadors for Christ. We are different. And please don't miss this. We are different to make a difference. Not many people are still asking the question, where's Waldo? Not many people spend much time asking the question, where's Waldo? But there are people in this world asking the question all the time, where is peace found? Like where is real hope found? Where is healing found in this world? Where's true love found in this world? The hope is that people would find the answer, Jesus Christ in us. But... Make no mistake, a Christian towing around massive amounts of guilt, shame, and regret, a Christian who refuses to submit different areas of their lives to God's leadership, a Christian who is constantly giving himself over to short-term gratification, a Christian who refuses to love, forgive, or commit in marriage, a Christian who spends his or her life seeking the earth factor, is like Waldo without stripes. You are in the world, but you look no different from it. Now let's just be honest. Every single one of us is missing stripes in one way or another, right? I mean, we're all hypocrites in one way or another. If you're a visitor this morning, if you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, I am apologizing on behalf of all Christians. We all struggle with hypocrisy and we will fail you, but we never claim to be perfect. We just claim to know the one who is perfect and that's Jesus. And we believe that God's grace and forgiveness covers over all of our failures, but the best thing we can do today is take a step. Take a step towards looking different. If you towed in some guilt, shame, and regret this morning, leave it here. Maybe you've experienced God's forgiveness for your failures, but you've never forgiven yourself. Today has to be that day. Don't hit those doors carrying out the same, the same shame that you walked in with. No, you leave it here. Christ has already dealt with it. Take a step. Maybe there's some areas of your life right now that that you've um, refused access to God. There's some areas that you refuse to submit to his leadership. Maybe this morning you just need to take a step and say, Jesus, come in, because I believe that you're committed to leading me to life, not stealing life from me. So I give you access to these areas of my life. I mean let's just get real there is plenty of more space for more love more forgiveness and more commitment in every single marriage in this room so let's take take a step if you've been wearing yourself wearing yourself out trying to gain the earth factor okay take a step Maybe it's time to just rest and say, Jesus, I'm going to work hard, but I'm going to be working for you in your name now. Just take a step. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, what I hope you hear is this. This is what's on the table for you. What's on the table for you is complete forgiveness for all of your failures, complete release from all guilt and shame what's on the table for you is you can you you have access now to a God who actually comes and lives inside of you. He wants to live through you. That's why Christianity isn't signing up for a bunch of rule following. No, it's God coming and not expecting you to just observe his rules. He wants to come and live those rules through you. Rules that lead to life. That's what's on the table for you right now. God wants to save you and then he wants to send you out. He wants to give you a much nobler purpose than anything you could ever think of. Maybe for you this morning, a relationship with God is going to start with simple faith. With you coming to a moment where you realize who Jesus is and what he has done. That he is God in the flesh and he came, he died, he rose from the dead. So that you could experience complete forgiveness for all of your sins. If that's you this morning, take a step. I'll close with this question. What step are you going to take today so that your life can begin to look different? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we just confess that we're all missing stripes in one way or another. There's, there's so many ways and there's so many times in our lives where we are in the world, yet we look no different from it. And so we praise you that your grace and forgiveness is, is big enough to cover over all of it. But Lord, we don't want to just sit there today. We want to move forward. We want to take a step. And so... Lord, I, I pray for my friends dealing with guilt, shame, and regret in here. Lord, I pray that they could leave really owning the fact that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God, I pray for, for those who are refusing to surrender certain aspects of their life to you. God, I pray that they would just allow you to speak in and that they would know you're committed to leading them to life, not stealing life from them. Lord, I pray for the marriages in this room. God, we all need your empowerment to love, forgive, commit even more. God, Lord, we want to make this world about ourselves. It is solely about you, Lord Jesus. It's solely about making your name great. Come and use us, God. We love you. We need you. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.